Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is the Reverend Chris Upton and I'm a Baptist minister accredited by the Baptist Union of Great Britain. For the last 23 years, I was the minister at West Lane Baptist Church in Haworth, but now I work for Christians Against Poverty as the church funding officer and as the national lead to the Waterways Chaplaincy. Through both these roles, I'm gaining a wide perspective on how society is changing and on how politics and faith interact in the public sphere. But enough about me, we've got a great guest this morning. Uh, we're joined by Bishop Rob uh, Wickham. Rob, we know that politics can be a bit of a contentious topic. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you uh, your gut reactions about that. But before that, I'm going to give our listeners a brief bio of what you've done so far with your 51 wild and precious years. Rob was raised in Surrey, studied geography at Durham University, specialising in urban regeneration. He also completed an MA in theology, politics and faith-based organisations, focusing his thesis on the church's past and future engagement with education. He has written another thesis on the creative use of church buildings. Before training for ordination, Rob witnessed high unemployment while working in a Tyneside council estate in the declining years of the nearby Swan Hunter shipyard, where decades earlier his grandfather had worked. As rector of St John's Hackney, he oversaw a reordering of the 2,000-seater church to allow for greater community use. The church hosted concerts by Coldplay, amongst others, as well as job fairs, food banks, night shelters, debt advice, local branch of a credit union, and what became the most used knife bin in London. Indeed, his pectoral cross was crafted from some of the 4,500 knives and firearms the police collected there over just three and a half years from the still-in-use knife bin. In 2012, the Speaker of Hackney Council gave him an award for outstanding community building during and after the London riots the previous years. In the days after the disturbances, he led a peace vigil with other faith leaders, headed up a clean-up operation, hosted community meetings in the church and organised a community street party for 400 people to help restore trust. In 2015, he was made Bishop of Edmonton in North London, becoming the country's youngest bishop at only 43. And in 2023, he became the CEO of the Church Urban Fund. Rob, it's great to have you with us. I almost feel like I want to ask you for your first record, uh, but it's, <laughs> we can't quite do that. So that, that question I teed up, politics and the pulpit, do they go together? What's your gut telling you? My gut says they have to go together. We have no option about this one. Um, you know, certainly when I read the scriptures, I mean, time and time again, Jesus um, offers all sorts of political reflections and political challenges to challenge the status quo, the political status quo. And, and for me, the, the, the issue around politics, that politics shapes lives. 
And if Jesus came that we may have life in all of its fullness, and there's something deeply important about the interplay between faith and politics, maybe perhaps even slightly separate from party politics, but actually the sort of way in which politics itself shapes the whole of human life and actually is, you know, tries to create a sort of sense of created order of things, but how do we live out the created order that, that God desires for us to lead us to that place of flourishing? So absolutely, they have to go together and politics belongs in the pulpit. Rob, the way you're talking there, um, sounds like Jesus primarily a political animal. Is that fair or is that too much? Um, I'm not quite sure whether animal is the right word. We, we do know from the scripture that there's something deep within Jesus' gut. You know, that he, he talks about that when he looks upon people with like sheep without a shepherd or whatever it might be, there's something that deeply stirs in that deep sort of sense of his gut and in his compassion. So we do know that, that in order, you know, the, the right of the heart, that sort of sense of justice, that sense of, of, of desire to see people at right, not just with God, but also at right with each other, living out, you know, as we'll come to in a few moments time, that holds the sense in the in the Ten Commandments of, of you know, loving your neighbour as yourself and loving God in, in the midst of all that. So I think we see a real urgency in uh, the face and the words of our Lord to want to lean into politics and to challenge the political status quo um, of that time. Um, was he an animal? Well, I, perhaps others can, uh, can, can reflect on that. Okay, maybe, uh, yeah, not a good choice of words from me. So if politics and justice are, are, there, are important, what are the key areas of politics and justice that really get you fired up? What's in your gut at the moment? So I think, you know, ever since, you mentioned about being in Wall's End up in Tyneside and, and, you know, I remember Good Friday, the day of all days, having just prayed part of the vigil through the night. Uh, I remember going to look at the Swan Hunter Shipyard Cranes, where, where, as you say, my granddad worked many, many years beforehand. And it was at the time when the Swan Hunters was about to close down. And I remember a deep sort of sense of God saying to me, Rob, these sorts of communities are, need to be where you are at. There's something here about the calling of your ministry uh, to be rooted in these sorts of communities. And I've been living that ever since in terms of the places where I've been a vicar, the places where I've worked, and particularly now in my sort of two roles, really. I, I'm both the, the CEO of Church Urban Fund, but also I'm the chair of Housing Justice. Um, and both of those things speak profoundly to me about the importance of a desire for justice, uh, the importance of recognizing that, you know, perhaps as the Catholic social thought teaching reminds us, there is a gospel preferential for the poor and for the poorest in, in terms of bringing about that sort of sense of listening, that sort of sense of listening to people's stories, and, and that sort of sense of striving for, for, for justice as we possibly can. Because as we know from our own experience, we know from COVID, the haves have got kind of more and the have-nots have got less. And uh, COVID and beyond, and particularly now with the cost of living crisis, has deeply exacerbated those sorts of issues in terms of, uh, in terms of wealth and poverty. So for me, in my gut, there is a deep sort of sense of recognising the injustices which exist uh, in this nation and beyond and actually the gospel says something about the way in which we might tackle those injustices. Rob thank you I, I'm realizing that maybe our paths may have even crossed I, I read naval architecture at Newcastle University and went round the Swan Hunter shipyards in two, 1992 or three I think I may have seen the last ship launched into the time so yeah there's something similar going on. 
Yeah. Anyway, before we get into the text, uh, some recent headlines from the news this morning. Conservative Party conference is going on today and tomorrow. Jeremy Hunt confirmed this morning that the national living wage will rise to £11 an hour, as well as making benefit restrictions and sanctions more strict. Suella Braverman's speech on immigration and asylum seekers claimed that the global asylum framework incentivizes illegal migration and that multiculturalism has failed. There are strikes this week on the rail, the tube and in the NHS. Headlines last week included five young people suing and taking 32 countries to court over climate change. It's also in our ecclesiastical sort of calendar, uh, the beginning of Black History Month, Good Money Week, Good Money Sunday, Homelessness Sunday. And in the week to come, it will be Prisons Week, the week of world peace. And the eighth I've heard, don't take it for granted though, is World Octopus Day. Make of it what you will. So we're going to look at our texts for the coming week. They come from the Revised Common Lectionary. We have Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, Psalm 19, the majesty of creation, echoing Proverbs 4, I think, Philippians 3, the visible, the, the invisible reasons we might have for confidence and that classic pressing on to the goal, and another tale about vineyards, Matthew 21, the parable of the landowner, and then allusions to a stumbling stone. Rob, what's the gold? What are you going to point us to? Well, you know, it, it's a joy. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I am preaching this Sunday, so actually this has been extremely helpful in terms of being able to pull together what, uh, what I'm going to be saying. And, and for me, you, you alluded to it last week's, uh, one of these podcasts too, when, when you were sharing, there's something kind of deep here about, the, about um, political power and the way in which power is organized and the way in which people respond to power. I was been really struck in terms of the Ten Commandments. Uh, um, I mean, you know, words which kind of no doubt many of us will be able to just sort of trot off the tongue at one level. And what uh, really struck with me about this time reading is that God makes explicit reference at the beginning of the Ten Commandments that actually he was the God that brought them out of slavery. And here is a list of commandments to help you shape what human flourishing, what you know, could look like about the dignity of human people, about the about the sort of sense of of importance of rooting that sort of sense of where your power comes from. In terms, and, and that sort of deep sense too, in terms of recognizing how you fit in with the greater scheme of things, uh, how you fit in with others. There's a deeply relational aspect that is not just about individuals, but this is the way in which society can be ordered in order that. All people might have good boundaries in terms of leading to their sort of sense of flourishing, but it comes from God's action and God's activity in terms of leading people out of out of slavery uh, into that sort of sense of, of listening to these Ten Commandments in order to have those to shape what promised land might look like in terms of shaping what might what might come afterwards. So there's there's something kind of important about God making the first move here, and that's a that's a that's a moment of power. God is God is saying to us, look. I've acted first. We see this again in the scriptures in relation to Jesus. Here is Jesus, the gift, uh, in order that we may respond to that gift. Time and time again, there's this sort of sense of God taking the first move because God understands what it means for humanity, his creation, uh, 
to be led to a place of flourishing and the ordering which is required to to get to that particular point. So so for me, there was something deeply important about um, the Exodus reading, the Ten Commandments. There was also a sort of deep sort of sense with the Philippians reading of with, with Paul. And as you say, it comes sort of straight after that wonderful bit in Philippians 2 about God emptying himself. God again taking that sort of first step, that sort of sense of taking the form of a, of a, of a human being in order that we may, may, may again be led to a place of, of deep flourishing, understanding our humanity, recognizing the place of the incarnation, the incarnation being taken to the very soul, the very heart of God uh, in the gift of the of the resurrection and ascension. So there's something here about, again, good ordering and, and you know, that sort of sense of where do you place your own confidence? Do you place your own confidence in your own self? Uh, Paul challenges us, uh, uh, us in or all is loss, he says, in the face of Jesus Christ. He's saying, folks, let's get a deep sense of perspective here. If we look for love and we look for justice, we find both of those things in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, this is we get it, get where our truest sense of identity may be. And then that leads us to a sense of righteousness, not coming from something that we've done, that we've conjured up, that we've bought in Tesco's. But actually righteousness comes deeply from God, not from ourself, which is why it's important, he refers in that reading, that we must pass on the prize. And I'm always struck when I come to the, the marvellous, I find Philippians a deeply challenging uh, letter, the fact that it's written from prison as well. So here is Paul, who's in house, under house arrest, who is writing these sorts of things to encourage those around the Christians in Philippines to get things right to get to get that sort of sense of deeply rooted relationship with Jesus being at the heart of all we are and all that we that we need to be but not just keeping it to ourselves there's an outward focus in terms of building community passing on the prize uh, he says and then in Matthew 21 you're right for me to carry on with this Chris is that yes, right yeah, it's a right. stream of consciousness coming from um, you know, that kind of extraordinary sense in Matthew 21, where, where again, a, a bit like Philippians 2, where it comes in the letter, there's something here um, about the fact that this is Holy Week. And, you know, Jesus, we know he's in that kind of pressing the accelerator button terms of you know actually this is his moment to hold up the mirror to those in political and religious power around him and of course he's getting to them he's really winding them up uh, matthew says doesn't he towards the end of this particular reading that the, that the scribes and the pharisees the chief priests and the pharisees were listening because they knew that jesus was talking about them and I'm really struck in this particular point, the fact that there's been a series of parables where Jesus has been holding up a mirror saying this is the nature of the, of, of the relationships of power, about how power is abused or, or, or is abusing others. And then you know, the parable of the tenants that we've got here, the fact that they grow in confidence. You know, one set of people come along to collect the uh, to collect the cash. Uh, they get killed. Another set they get killed. You can always sort of sense that right. We're on a bit of a roll now. We're, we, you know, no one can topple us of our positions of power and responsibility. Then comes the sun. Right, we've got him this time. And of course, this is what gets played out on the cross, is it not? You know, actually, Jesus is killed. Jesus is murdered. So there's a sort of sense in this particular moment that actually the place where those tenants want to get to is annihilation of the other to get rid of the other in order that they themselves may have complete and utter unchallenged power around them. Uh, and where do you go with and then the landlord will come and smite everybody and kill everybody? Well, again, I think it's 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 a, what you know. God can do that. Of course, God can do that because God is the Almighty, the sovereign. 
And what he's doing, I think, there is actually holding up a holding up a, a, a mirror again to those who are listening to sort of say, actually, if you are manipulating the things of God in the way you're doing for your own ends, it's not going to end well. There will be an ending to that. You know, we know from the destruction of the temple in AD 70, we know in, in, indeed in the gift of the resurrection that that power gets actually completely dismantled in terms of who holds political control over people's lives. And bearing in mind, you know, my sort of sense in terms of those who come to the temple, those who come to say their prayers, are just everyday people. And yet it's the everyday people who are being manipulated by that sort of sense of, 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 of power in the way the, that the regimes are. And of course, you know, then it's, it takes us right back, doesn't it, to that wonderful uh, moment from the, from the psalmist to say, you know, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we are told it is marvellous in our eyes so this is a reminder to us of the of the fact the cross it's it's the shape of the cross here that will lead the people there into greater flourishing but it is about holding up a very uncomfortable mirror to sort of say what are the ways in which you you, you both use and abuse your positions of power if you're if you are in positions of responsibility and power so so far we've had uh, corporate, we've had Exodus, we've had Philippians, and we've had Matthew and, and people groups. And yet, as you were speaking, I think I've I have a vision of of the Ten Commandments up on a tablet in a dusty stone church, and almost sitting at home doing a sampler and the Pietistic. This is these are my Ten Commandments, and the Philippians three. This is me. My trust is in God, and uh, I often want to um, bring it down into you know me and my God but you've said it's about us and our is that is that fair I mean is that what I, I think it is fair. I, I think there is that sort of sense of, of, you know, how do we live out our corporate sense of responsibility? Yeah. You know, I'm really struck by that passage in Jeremiah 29 where, 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 where we are told, you know, go and seek the welfare of the city. Yeah. And there's a corporate piece there to, it, you know, to, to the Christian, to, to the to, to God's people who are who are dispersed to go and root yourself in, 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 in wider community. You know, and for me, we always need to, 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 I think, you know, particularly in church leadership and things, to try and shy away from that sort of sense of this all being about a, a, a single relationship with God, as you say, about me and my, me and my God and my, my walk with Jesus Christ. Because quite often that can actually shield you from the implications of the systems that we're part of. And it strikes me that if we're thinking about justice and we're thinking about politics, we're thinking about the individuals are affected by the political systems in which they live. And sometimes those systems can give unfair advantage. And sometimes those systems we're going into, you know, we're in, we've just started Black History Month. And, the, you know, the listening around racial justice reminds us that actually systematically, uh, you know, that there, there, is a, there is an element of particular groups of people being downtrodden. And that is the systems, you know, the systems favor particular groups of people. And I do think, you know, when you come to these sorts of scriptures, you know, the, the, the leading up to the moment of Jesus being arrested and, 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 and crucified, um, you know, particularly there's that sort of sense of there is something about the world that's going on here. There is something about humanity that's going on here. There's something which enables us to think beyond our own imagination. 
uh, in terms of wanting to encompass something of God's imagination for a flourishing humanity around us. And what part do we play in the midst of all that? Because we are, you know, you know, to, 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 that, to that ancient question from, from the Old Testament, am I my brother's keeper? You know, if the answer is no, I'm not my brother's keeper, then fine, we do all the singular stuff. We do all the stuff which looks after, you know, number one. But actually, ultimately, as we know, looking inwards, looking after number one, well, that's the posture of sinfulness. And so, therefore, there is that the sense of if I if 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 I'm not my brother's keeper, that will lead to destruction and death. Yeah. But if I am my brother's keeper, then that can lead to a place of greater flourishing and a recognition that in order for me to to to, to flourish and thrive, Chris, I need you to flourish and thrive as well, and we need to do it together. Yeah, it's the Ubuntu. I am because we are kind yeah. of stuff. Um, yeah. Rob, thank you. I, I, a couple of questions have been bubbling away in my mind. Um, one is uh, a, a fairly general question. Have you ever got it wrong in the pulpit and majored too much on politics? Do you feel that you've ever sort of overstepped the mark? Um, or are you sometimes, are we in general as preachers, more in the habit of, of, of uh, underplaying the need for politics and, and faith to go hand in hand. And then I've got a follow-up question after this one. Um, whether I've got it wrong or not, will he, you know, that we require others to judge, I think, in terms of, you know, I mean, I, I, often, I often find when I'm preaching, what is said and what is heard are two very, very different things. Yeah. You know, and there is that sort of sense of particularly if we're preaching about these sorts of matters, you have no idea. I and mean, I found this particularly as a bishop in the in the in the Church of England at one level. When you know your congregation, when I was the rector of Hackney or the vicar of King's Cross, whatever it might be, I knew the congregations. Yeah. I knew the people with whom I was relating. You know, I, we we had political conversations. I was you know I was working politically with local authorities and and so on in these in those particular places. Um, as a bishop, of course, you've got no idea who's sitting in the pews. Um, you know, I've I've confirmed conservative members of parliament. I'm not going to tell you who they are, um, but I, you know, I, I, I've I've worked politically. But actually, when you're in those sorts of sort of situations, you've got no idea because you don't have that relational, uh, um, um, you know, that sort of sense of relationships with the people that you are. And so, I'm I am without doubt that some people would have said, "Rob, you've got it wrong this time." Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. The follow-up question was, do you think the pulpit is a place for questions or a place for answers? What a fabulous, that's a fabulous question itself. So, so, so my, my favourite, my absolute, my absolute favourite definition of being a disciple is being a lifelong learner. About having the posture of what it means to be a lifelong learner, and there's that sort of sense, isn't there, that when you there's that there's that wonderful um, research by um, who is it? Next, faith in the nexus from uh, um, uh, uh, Canterbury, of Christchurch, Canterbury, the faith in the nexus report, which looked at children's spirituality. Fascinating report in terms of why, when children hit a particular age, do they sort of stop questioning and things? And actually, the answer that that piece of research came up with is they don't hear adults questioning. Yeah, and yeah. so it's seen as a, you know, it's seen as something children do because you're encouraged at school or wherever it might be. But if they never hear adults questioning their faith or asking deep questions in terms of who they are, then why, why, why should you? I, rem I remember in 2003 writing, uh, reading James Allison's A Churchless Faith, where it, it influenced, he was influenced sociologist about why had people left the church. 
and there was an area was because their questions were not even being asked, let alone answered. Um, and how the church must be a place for a yeah. safe space for people to ask questions. Yeah. Uh, and often why people feel happier in the pub, because yeah. we know that that's a place for general pontificating and questioning and chewing the fat. Um, so I think there's, 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 there's two things here. I think, firstly, there is that sort of sense of what are you trying to achieve when you're preaching? What's in your mind? Is it the case of here is a group of people in front of me. I need to give them what I consider to be the truth. In other words, statements. And if they listen to that and they digest that and live that, then they will become clones probably of me. That, that, that's one approach which I think we can fall into. I've got this information. I'm going to give you this information. This information is going to change your life. And, and, but actually what we're saying is that I want you to, to, to be able to embrace my definition of Christianity. And there's that sort of sense of, 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 of passing on the information in, in that particular way. Or there's the way that says, actually, we're on a journey together. You know, is this about debate or is this about dialogue? And the whole sort of sense of dialogue about about being able to journey together. And I think for me in my head, there's a sort of sense of, you know, in this preaching moment, I've got an opportunity here to spark all sorts of questions, which then enable people to think about it for themselves, rather than just taking what I say as read. So I think there is that sort of sense of creating space. And I, 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 one of my favorite things, which I did when I was training to be a vicar all those years ago, was to spend some time uh, working and uh, ministering within a, um, uh, it was a high dependency unit of a, of, of a psychiatric hospital, uh, a mental health hospital. And, um, and when, when preaching in that particular place, I have to say it was something which I then kind of brought to the various churches where I've been uh, vicar, preaching that place, people will shout things out whether you want them to or not. And the sparkiness that comes from that, I mean, all sorts of glimpses of the spirit at work in the midst of that, it's, it's absolutely glorious. So in the places, um, you know, where I've been a parish priest, quite often people will say that when I start sermons, I never use pulpit, I try and avoid pulpits. I don't like heights very much, if I'm honest. And it kind of feels, I feel a bit giddy when I'm kind of up there somewhere. So kind of, you know, just, and, and just wandering around and just asking questions. You know, I, I let, let me begin by asking your question was was quite often the way in which I would start to preach, uh, just to spark that sort of sense of look, we're on this journey together, we're lifelong learners together. I think I think that lifelong learners, yeah, it's it's brilliant. Maybe we need to use that as a subtext for our podcast today. Um, thank you very much. You, you've given us great food for thought on three of the passages. Psalm nineteen, the majesty of creation almost ends with a call for get wisdom, get understanding, though it costs you everything. Um, have you a minute on that as to, I can just sort of imagine an evening service where it's getting dark outside and maybe it's starlights and stuff like this. I'll give you a moment. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I just, I mean, the Psalm, I love the Psalms anyway, because they just tell it as it is. You know, there's something deeply real there about using the hymn book that Jesus will have used and, and, and the extraordinary insights. And that whole sort of sense, I think, in, in, in this part of the, of, of the Psalter about, you know, as you say, that sort of sense of desire around wisdom. 
mm. about the way in which we seek and we look out for wisdom, you know, that thing that Solomon prayed for and, and you know, the beginning of his, his ministry and so on. And so, you know, I think, I mean, you know, certainly for me as, as, as in all the different roles that I've been in that sort of sense of right ordering around creation and kind of being rooted uh, in all that, that deep sort of sense of, of wanting to, wanting to, to, you know, you know, may, may may our strength come from God's wisdom, not from our own sense of vanity. You know, and kind of li- living living out that sense again. It's about right relationship. It's about recognizing who we are is as part of God's generous gift uh, to, to 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 the world. So the gift which ultimately is for God so loved the world that He gave us Jesus. So yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Robert. I love that the idea of God's spirit and not in isolation but community growth and growing together wrestling with each other wrestling with the texts wrestling with life outside these four solid stone walls that we often uh, try and just shut the door i forget is it fred pratt green him about when you shut the door you're shutting out god even if you think you're just shutting out traffic noise anyway our, our time has gone so rob thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and reflections with us today And thanks to the rest of you for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach pulpits, uh, preach politics from the pulpit this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Having had a bishop on the show, we should get some big numbers of people listening. So do use social media if you possibly can. Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag, hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team Facebook page and the website jpit.uk. That's it. The question we're leaving you this week's reading episodes is, Rob, one final line. My, the final line is, you know, hold up the mirror to, to ourselves. Let's, let's, you know, the, the challenge has always been there. Look at the way in which we use power ourselves. That's the, that's the big challenge. Look, look, look in the mirror and perhaps even ask one or two of your family and friends to, re, you know, reflect back with you. Let's, let's do a bit of soul searching. We're heading towards Advent, so let's, uh, let's do that bit of soul searching. Even ask your church warden, your choir master, your organist, Ask anybody and everybody what they think. So let's go into both politics and our pulpits with a blessing. So I shall use this blessing on us all before we leave. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives. Help people to see the world truthfully and to let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.